Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Mark Speller. With me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Matthew Watson-Broughton, author of The Amazing Journey, How Newcastle United Conquered Europe. Matthew's also worked for UEFA, the LOCOG, FINA, and is currently the English website editor for the Hungarian Football Federation. Also, in his spare time, Matthew runs one of Hungary's largest adult-level amateur football clubs. Matthew, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to coming on the pod today. Thank you very much. Uh, Matthew, you, you were born in Newcastle, um, but you've lived in Hungary on and off for nearly sort of 20 years. So I'm guessing that has influenced your choice because today we go back to the 1969 Intercities Fairs Cup second leg that finished Oipest Doja 2, Newcastle United 3, with Newcastle winning 6-2 on aggregate. Why have you chosen this game? Um, this game is a, uh, a I, I think it's not... Um, Unrealistic to call it a seminal moment in Newcastle United's history, my hometown club, obviously. Um, and growing up, I uh, read a lot about you know my club and and, and the history and and the the, the major figures. Uh, but there was never a book out there that um, uh, really summed it up and 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 got to the heart of the detail. So um, two years ago. I uh, decided with my background in, in, in Hungarian football as well uh, to, to, to correct that situation. And I, I, I wrote this, uh, uh, this book and therefore it was obvious that um, I, would, I would choose this game um, to talk about. It's uh, essentially, you know, my expert area, if I'm an expert in anything at all in life. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, Jonathan, perhaps we should sort of... Uh remind or inform people what the Intercities Fairs Cup or simply the Fairs Cup uh, was because it's uh, not been around since 1971. Yeah, so it, it's, it is taken on by UEFA and becomes the UEFA Cup, which obviously becomes the Europa League. Uh, at this at this point, it is uh, still theoretically uh, as much about trade fairs as it is about football. So there's a limit of one club per city. So in its very earliest incarnations, you had, for instance, a London eleven, which is players drawn from a range of London clubs representing London. By this point, uh, it's decided a club should represent each city. So Newcastle only qualify. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Sunderland fan. Although I would <laughs> underline it because I'm a Sunderland fan. Newcastle only qualify for this because they finished ninth. Uh, sorry, tenth in the league the previous season. Um, Manchester City have qualified for the European Cup as champions. Manchester United have qualified for the European Cup as European champions. West Brom have qualified for the Cup Winners' Cup as FA Cup winners. And you then have Liverpool and Chelsea uh, have taken two of the other slots for the for the Fairs' Cup. And Everton couldn't be in it because Liverpool are in it. And Arsenal and Tottenham couldn't be in it because Chelsea are in it. And so... As a last resort, they look all the way down the table. What have we? Oh, 10th? Newcastle United, I suppose we can let them in. Yeah. Um, well, that's certainly a Sunderland way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I think Leeds fans will, would like to, to, to hear their, uh, their club in there as well. They were the, the third of the four um, sides involved. And, and Jonathan's absolutely right. Um, it, in fact, up until the draw, it wasn't even known if Newcastle United would be in the competition. They, to, to add to Jonathan's um, 
I don't want to say bitterness. So just remind me, you, you haven't won a trophy since. Here we you? go. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we haven't. Yes. We can't claim to have won the the, the Papa John's. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. Um, yeah. since, since then, so, so to add to that, um, it, it, the fairs Newcastle only got into it because it expanded from forty eight teams at the start of that season to sixty four, and it wasn't known that that would actually happen uh, until the, um, the the day of the actual first round draw. The Fairs Cup committee hadn't ratified it. The only way it would be found out is, is, is when the draw would be announced. Newcastle didn't even send a delegation to Copenhagen where the draw was made. The first anybody knew about it was when a telegram arrived on Tyneside saying that uh, Newcastle United had been drawn against, well, one of the undoubtedly one of the best European uh, clubs uh, at that mm. time. Yeah, I, so Newcastle United, you know, yeah, they finished tenth um, in the uh, around this time, of course, in in the top flight. Yeah, I mean, the interesting place the world was in sort of 1968, 1969. I mean, Neil Armstrong and his gang were walking on the moon. You know, <laughs> music and youth culture and all the rest of it was it was it was in full flow. What what was um you know how was Newcastle around this time? I mean, I suppose you know we 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 sort of think of um the swing in sixties and you think of sort of Carnaby Street in London and all that sort of stereotype and and whatnot. What was going on in Newcastle? What was the what, what were the sort of the cultural points and and so on? I think um it's not a surprise to understand or realise that maybe Newcastle as a in the northeast was a little bit behind. The, the the times in terms of um, the swinging 60s and earlier in the 60s that would have overtaken you know London it was mm-hmm. just becoming that way in Newcastle as well um, and um, but it was certainly a, a, an exciting time um, the first nightclub in the northeast um, was uh, the, the the club Fandango in um, <laughs> in Hexham of all places <laughs> Hexham, uh, Jesus Hexham. <laughs> opened by the um uh the I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly who it was opened by but uh, the striker for Newcastle one of the strikers for Newcastle Brian Pop Robson was from from Hexham and mm. um I believe it was either his um uh parents or his his wife's parents who opened opened this um uh club and it was these things were springing up in Newcastle as well uh, you know it, all of these places had the kind of the same DNA it was it was a working class city there was exciting things going on but also um these these kind of cities uh, were hanging on to an industrial past and yeah. um you know change wasn't far away and and you know not necessarily in a, in a good way because um they were so reliant on those industries and and that fed into the mm-hmm. um the situation in in football and with communities that uh, uh still um, people's own, you know, only escape. Let's say, me, you know, men of a certain age's only uh, um, leisure pursuit would be, you know, come out of the mines. Um, yeah. And Saturday afternoon was go to the football. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, Sorry, can, pre- can I just? Brian Pop Robson was from Sunderland. He might have lived in Hexham. He was born go. in Sunderland. He went on to play three times for Sunderland. Yeah, and most did, famous yeah. of all, at the age of thirty-eight, scored the second goal in the two-nil win at Leicester on the final day of eighty-three-four to keep Sunderland up. Mm-hmm. So let's not be. Me. Let's not be introducing a hero like Pop Robson yeah. by saying he's from Hexham. 
Well, he, uh, he, I, I, you, you, I stand corrected. He married a girl from Hexham, so he does. So that's why I can't. So he's he's married up, is what you're saying. Um, I, 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 I think um, we claim him as our hero. Certainly not a, a Sunderland one, but then again, um, won't be the only thing we ever disagree on. I suppose he's, a, he's an ecumenical yeah. hero, shall we say? He's, he's an English hero. An... Um, but uh, Jonathan, on a previous pod, we 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 spoke about Newcastle United and, and the city of Newcastle around in, in the fifties. Last time they won the FA Cup was was. Um, 1955, which was their previous major trophy win before this one, and it, it that in, in that progress which painted a quite a different picture of of Newcastle in terms of sort of industry and so on. There was a lot of change from um, that 55 FA Cup win to this first Cup win in in 1969, as as Matthew was saying. Yeah, I mean, I think we we are starting to see the first cracks in the in the big industries, and I think mm-hmm. that the sort of uh, anxiety is beginning to creep in. Obviously, it gets much, much worse over the 70s and, 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 and particularly the early 80s. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a, you've also, you know, you've got Gateshead booms in this time. You, you, you have, um, you know, it looks like a concrete monstrosity now, but at the time it was seen as being quite modern and quite innovative. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the beginning of that period of flux. And, you know, what, you know, while I, joke about Newcastle. This is actually a really good team. If you look through it, mm. you've got Frank Clark who goes on to win a European Cup. You've got two Scotland internationals in Jim Scott and Jackie Sinclair. You've got Wynne Davis who you would go on to play for Manchester City and Manchester United, a great Wales international. Um, and slightly surprisingly, I think to, to many people, you've, you've got a, a, a Dane, a sort of Danish mm. playmaker who just seems to play one-twos all the time. Like If you look <laughs> at the clips, constant one-twos with uh, Benny Arantoff at the middle of it. And I can't quite work. I mean, maybe you know this, Matthew. What 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 his story is? I and mean, I know Newcastle signed him from Greenock Morton, but why? How did he pitch up at Greenock Morton? Um, he uh, was part of um, the Danish invasion or, or Scandinavian invasion into Scotland in the mid to late sixties. Uh, the Greenock Morton um, chairman was a, kind of a visionary. He realised that uh, these players from um, Denmark uh, were just amateurs over there, but um, were very good and um, he started bringing them in basically um, I I went to twice to Denmark to, to interview Benny um, and it, it was it was very interesting that the whole point of, of Hal Stewart uh, was the Greenick Morton chairman his vision was come over here um, play for me for a season or two and then I'll get you a big move to um, either the old firm or, or to England and you can earn um, plenty of money there, and and that suited a Danish amateur footballer fine, um, mm-hmm. you know. So so that's what they did. Several ended up at Rangers. Um, there were there were more um, going down uh, to to England as well. Benny had trials at Tottenham um, before coming to Newcastle, and and was then delighted to to, to beat Spurs one 0 in his in his first game um, and be able to 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 um, to gloat in that um mm. he he signed um midway through that season um in 68-9 um and he was a he was a workhorse really you know he he, he um he got through an, an enormous amount of um work in that midfield um and it shocked a lot of people later on when he would score one of the goals of the competition um great guy and fitted exactly into that that team, uh, Jonathan, you, you're right about what you say about the 
the makeup of Newcastle, it was by no means a bad team. And it had grown since so Joe Harvey, the, the manager, had taken over, um, you know, one of the, the main figures of those 50s cup wins. Um, he had um, retired in, in about 55. Um, he'd been a coach for the 55 FA Cup winning team. And then he'd gone out to, to, to start his managerial education and was called it back to Newcastle in 1962 by um, Chairman Stan Seymour. Um, to try and get the club out of a hole. They'd been relegated from Division 1 and they were down on their luck, really. Um, and Joe Harvey turned it around. Uh, he built a promotion-winning team in 64-5, um, which came up uh, with Northampton Town. Bizarrely, I think that just says it all about the, the era that we're talking about. Um, and, and avoided relegation in... Um, in sort of 65, 66 and 66, 67, when Newcastle were kind of struggling, he sold a crowd favourite, um, Alan Suddick, uh, to Blackpool um, in order to finance a, a refurbishment of the, of the team and, and brought in people like John McNamee, who is a famous player in the 60s because he was Newcastle's version of, of Chopper Harris or, or, or Billy Bremner or Norman Hunter or... or, or um, Dave Mackay that was he was Newcastle's hard man um mm -hmm. and that meant that Newcastle had kind of a, a more of a substance to them um that could stay in in division one and um in 67-8 they were able to to have a very successful season actually they were they were um fifth at Christmas and dropped dropped a little bit later to 10th because of injuries but it meant they went into this Fairs Cup campaign with players who well, firstly, um, there was some real talent there, as Jonathan's um, alluded to. Secondly, um, younger players who were coming through who had no fear. Um, and thirdly, players who were not afraid to roll up their sleeves and really get stuck in. And that, in the 60s and probably up until the 90s, you would say, was uh, a real asset for a British side in Europe. Mm. That's and tell us a bit about Oipesh. What sort of status did they have within Hungarian football at the time? Um, Oipesh were um, formerly a, a, you know, a very good side, if not a great side at times in their history. I think. Well, you... I mean, they'd, they'd won the Metropa Cup, hadn't they, in the 30s? So they were. Yeah. I mean, they weren't of a level of French house for them to take out, but they, they're clearly the third, I'd, I'd say team of that that era aren't they yeah they were the, the third in the 30s yeah the 20s and 30s were dominated by by um france varosh and um mtk with uipesh there as well but they'd won titles they'd um after the war they'd um taken a they weren't prioritized by the hungarian regime which which shaped football at that time the communist regime placed their their um all their emphasis and focus on honved and, and mtk um to to nurture a, a world-class side you know the magical magyars but uipest was still generating players because it's a big part of budapest in fact it was originally just a, a, a suburb or a, a on its own a town on its own um so they had a, a good catchment area um they had um, a good history. Bela Gutmann, obviously a European Cup winning um, coach with Benfica, 
had won the league already, um, the Hungarian league with Újpest. Um, and they won the, the title in 1960 um, in Hungary. So they were an eminent team, but they'd, they'd suffered in, in the 60s and they weren't one of the top clubs early on um, in that decade. Um, a lot changed after 1964, 65, MT Carr were on the way down. They didn't really feature um, much after reaching the Cup Winners' Cup final in 64. The three main teams became Ferenc Varos, obviously, with Florian Albert um, at their head. Vosos, who won the title several times in the mid-60s um, and had the likes of Farkos, who scored that great goal in the 66 World Cup and, and Mesai at the back. Um, and then Uypest, and Uypest had this generation that was really looking very exciting, a very attacking team. Um, but it, they needed a coach who could um, shape them, who could um, balance them, who could um, unleash that potential. And that coach was Lajos Boroti, um, who is a famous um, name in Hungarian football, former um, Hungarian international, um, very experienced coach was the um, Hungary coach the 58 World Cup when it was a committee kind of uh, style of selection um, he he took on um, the job um, on his own after that 62 66 managed very um, talented and unlucky Hungarian national sides I would say and after 66 he he took over at Uypest and that's when Younger players like Ferenc Benner, um, who had starred at that summer's World Cup, um, Antal Dunoy, who um, became uh, the silver boot winner in, in um, 1968, European silver boot behind Eusebio, um, and Janos Guruc, who was originally a, 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 an inside right, but um, was pulled back into midfield by Borotti. That was when they could really flourish, and there were there was enough talent around them um, to, to really wrest control of Hungarian football. And 68-9 um, was probably the best vintage of that. Some, some Uypesh fans would argue that when they got to the European Cup semi-final um, five years later and, and, and played Bayern, that was a great side too, with, with lots of the same faces. But in 68-69, they still had... Janos Guruc is the top of his powers. He had to retire a couple of years later with a bad injury. Um, and, and they had everything in, in, in the right place. They won the double in 68-69. And they knocked out some great teams on the way as well. Um, Leeds United being a foremost example. Legia Warsaw as well, who um, at that time were a very strong side and reached the European Cup semi-finals the following year. So once you do get to the, the final of the Fairs Cup, um, there is only one favourite in that, uh, that tie, and it wasn't Newcastle United. All right, well, let's have a quick break, Japs, and then we'll talk about the uh, Fairs Cup final of 1969 itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. So, yes... Um, it was, uh, as your book um, title uh, suggests, Matthew, uh, how Newcastle con could Europe the amazing journey. Well, the amazing journey 
got off to a good start against Feyenoord Rotterdam, which uh, they dispatched four to an aggregate, but they won four nil at home in the first leg. So it was a great start for Newcastle United. Yeah, what was the expectation going into this tournament? Because as Jonathan reminded us at the uh, at the top of the show, they were the tenth best side in England at the time. <laughs> Yeah, as I've alluded to, they were quite unlucky to only finish 10th that season um, due to injuries. But certainly they weren't a, f- um, a, a, a powerhouse of English football in, in the 60s by any stretch of the imagination. And we know that they got into it, um, let's say, you know, through the back door, to, for want of a better phrase. Um, the expectations weren't high. Bob Moncur, um, who we haven't mentioned yet, but was, uh, you know, the heart and soul of this team, I think, in terms of guidance and leadership um, at the back, um, a great reader of the game, captain of the club, and went on soon to captain Scotland. He said um, when he found out that they were in Europe, which followed the draw, uh, he couldn't believe it for a start. Uh, he thought they were they were kidding with him. And after that, he said, I, you know, it's nice. It's a, a nice bonus to go to... Um, to go abroad once, but we'll not stay in it very long, you know. And that, and that was the thought, but, but I mean, he, he didn't even get to go abroad, did he? To start with, they left him out of the away game final to save money. Um, <laughs> that's that's not true. <laughs> I'll I am gonna bite, yes, uh, that's okay. not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. So he he unfortunately sustained a knee ligament injury in pre-season away at uh, I think it was Hibernian, and he wasn't able to play in the in the first um, leg in in Rotterdam. I think the saving money thing um, probably more of a kind of a it probably was money based in terms of they didn't take their captain on the on the um, the journey. Although at the time he wasn't the club captain, it was Jim Eiley who left the club uh, a couple of um, months later uh, to go and um, be player manager at Peterborough. He was um, the captain of Newcastle during the 60s and, and was um, sort of reaching the age of, um, of moving on. Um, so Bob went with the, the, the fans to Rotterdam and... Um, is this like a whip bound to pay for him or something? Is, is that true? Yeah, I think it's a supporters club said you, you you you're coming with us, you know, and and um <laughs> and he did, and uh, he was watching watching with the crowd as they um battled to stay in the competition at that point, um because they had won four nil at home, um mm-hmm. but that was very much a, a case of the the perfect storm um of of a situation, um Feyenoord, and I, I spoke with players from every of every one of Newcastle's opponents throughout this um this uh, campaign and the, the the Dutch players I spoke to told me how they had absolutely no clue you know about Newcastle United about their team they they thought they were turning up for a pre-season friendly basically they would they would cruise through um and because they had such great players, well, we they, should say they, what you know. This is such a good side; they do go on to win the European Cup the following year. Mm. So they, they are final. Are a really, really good team. They are. They did the Dutch double in '68, '69. Um, you know, beating uh, Cruyff's Ajax to the to the League and Cup. So you're absolutely right. Um, but they they took it lightly, and they also had um a a, a player at right back, um Franz van der Heide, a, a fantastic guy, um. To, to speak to about the game and uh, an interview. Um, but he was more of a, a kind of a ball playing 
um, fullback. In fact, he was more of a midfielder and he was only at Feyenoord there for, for one season. He played in Newcastle against a young left winger called Jeff Allen, who um, tore him apart. I mean, there's just no other way to say it with a raucous Geordie crowd on a balmy um, uh, northeast uh, night um, with the, the, the whiff of the brewery um, uh, enveloping St. James's Park, the nearby um, uh, brewery. It, it, it was a fantastic occasion for everyone who was there. And right from the very start, Newcastle got right on top of their opponents who were, who were complacent and, and scored four goals, you know, pretty, mm. pretty um, comprehensively. Um, certainly early on, uh, there was no stopping Allen, um, who is one of the great losses in Newcastle United's history. Uh, he tore his cruciate ligament about a month later and was never, you know, never made it back. Um, but that was his golden moment. And so going to Rotterdam, 4-0 up, and, but Newcastle were 2-0 were down um, after a, a, about an hour. Um, and they were hanging on in there. This was when uh, the likes of Willem van Hannigan um, and, uh, and, and the, the rest of that great team um, of Feyenoord um, really got going, but they couldn't pull it back. They so Newcastle didn't manage get, it though, Matthew. They, they didn't, didn't manage, manage it, it. And, 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 then, and then Newcastle's campaign really started and they knew from the very start that do your work at home, get the job mostly done, and then you, you hang on in when you're away. Mind you, you say that though, but I mean the second, and I take the point because their home form was pretty good that season. But in the second round, Jonathan, they they beat Sporting two on an aggregate, but that involved winning one nil away from home in the second leg. Yeah, when the pitch was totally unplayable because it was underwater. <laughs> I mean, they they got the. I, don't, I, I think that if you look at the teams in Newcastle, beat to get the to get to the final, they yeah. had a much harder run to get there. Yeah, I mean, when uh, we pushed, uh, they, yeah, they end up winning their semi final eight one on aggregate against Gustepe. Who, who had put Hamburg out? I mean, they were, they weren't jokers, but sure. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly rather have Weepesh run than, than Newcastle's. But yeah, they, they they get the break. That the pitch in Sporting is it, it helps them out. But then Zaragoza, who'd had those a series of great games against Leeds, mm-hmm. um, and the game when Jack Charlton was sent off for attacking the goalkeeper when the police had to get involved, <laughs> um, and then then the bizarre sort of Easter blizzard against Vichoy de Setubal in the and it hadn't it hadn't snowed in Sechibal for twenty five years, so their players are sort of like looking at this sort of cold <laughs> white stuff coming from the sky, going, "What what's that?" Um, and and then yeah, the Rangers semi final seems like one of the most brutal kind of chaotic games imaginable. But it ended, but that um, Matthew Newcastle they drew the first leg nil nil at home and then won two nil away. So some impressive away results. I think, in yeah, the I mean, the final. it's probably worth just sort of kind of um, uh, clearing those up. So they drew away at, at Lisbon, one-one, um, um, and won at home with a oh, forgive me. with a a, a, a cracking a, a, one of the best goals in in Newcastle's history. Any fan will say that from Pop Robson, um, and uh, so a, a volley um, and. Um, and then they they went away to so it, it, their home form was superb. They won six out of six. Um, their away form, you know, it, it was it was tougher. So with Rangers, for example, they drew nil nil away from home, oh. and and got out of there with a um, a goalless draw thanks to Willie McFall who saved uh, a penalty. Um, 
Well, he he's a player we haven't really mentioned yet. Uh, you know, of, of the sort of legendary players that you know, if Pat Jennings hadn't existed, William McFall would be a legend. <laughs> you, you know, he mm. he he was a great goalkeeper who, who uh, you know, as so often happens in these cases, comes along as a Northern Irish keeper at a time when they have their greatest keeper of all time by a million miles. Mm. Yeah, that was true, and and it was also true for for Newcastle's. Um, uh, fullback David Craig, who was also Northern Irish and would have been a legend as well, had Pat Rice not been ahead of him in the in the Northern Ireland lineup. So again, just backing up that they had extremely capable um, uh, players um, at the top level, but Europe was completely different, and Newcastle um, had did not have that experience. But um, uh, they had they had talent, and they had um, naivety, and they had um, a great crowd behind them. Um, 50, 60,000 fans at each each game. And that made the difference. So Zaragoza as well, they, they, they lost away from home 3-2 on, on New Year's um, Day 1969, but mm-hmm. got, uh, got through um, on away goals into the quarterfinal. You mentioned that, that, that um, snow blizzard. And during um, my research, I found a recording of the, the highlights of the first half of the game um, in Newcastle with this blizzard. And, and you know, speaking to the the Stubal players, they'd never seen anything like it. You know, they, they were jumping around and, and hooping um, outside the hotel the day before. You know, playing in the snow. But when they came, when they were lined up in the tunnel um, before the game, they were they were shadows of themselves. They were stood there huddling um, to to <laughs> to to try and keep warm. Uh, the substitutes started a fire in the dressing room in St James's Park <laughs> to try and keep warm. I mean, setting fire to medical supplies in the first aid bag. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- th- this is just ridiculous. But <laughs> to Newcastle, you know, for all me saying they have good players and they 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 had the crowd um, and everything, they had. Moments of, of luck and fortune right from the, the, the start of actually even getting into the competition um, that make you think their name was just meant to be on this trophy. Mm. And, and this carried all the way through, you know, not just um, the, the, the weather, um, not just, um, you know, uh, uh, questionable tactics from opponents or, or attitudes from opponents, but, but also, um, you know, the penalty saves on, 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 the, on the pitch and... And we'll get to the final. Exactly the same examples or very similar examples there as well. Yeah, did, did the Rangers fans try and get the second leg in Glasgow abandoned? Is that right? Were there, there was a bit of crowd trouble to say the least. Yeah, so the first leg was away in Glasgow, Newcastle escape with a nil-nil draw. They have, um, it, it's, it's, you know, I know it was, was it Galatasaray who, who, who coined the, you know, the fans coined the phrase, welcome to hell. Um, yeah. You know, going to Ibrox in 1969 was a terrifying prospect for an away group. The the reserves yeah. went up there on the bus to watch it and had their windows caved in um, right. by fans uh, <laughs> outside. Um, and and that was so that away leg in, in Glasgow was, uh, was quite tasty. Tasty. John McNamee had the game of his life um, on one leg. wasn't even meant to be in the team. Um, but got called up because of a um, an illness to to Ollie Burton, who had a kind of uh, kind of like an epileptic epileptic fit before the game. And McNamee comes in and and takes care of Colin Steen 
um, to you know to make a, a real difference. And then they get back to St James's Park, yeah, and Rangers they take over the town. Um, there are marching bands going through the big market um, outside the Evening Chronicle offices um, uh, during the day. Uh, Rangers fans are taking over any sort of pubs that are open, just invading. Um, sometimes paying for the drinks, sometimes but not. They, but did they try and get the match abandoned? Was that I read that somewhere? Or is that that's not quite? No, right? it's 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 right. Newcastle um, scored the first goal um, uh-huh. of 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 that game um, in mid midway through the second half. Mm-hmm. And that was the cue for the 20,000 or so fans who'd, who'd got in, some with tickets, some without, to, to invade the pitch. Um, and there are, I found a lot of photographs of this um, during, um, during my research. And it's staggering just to see how many there were. The, the players got taken off the pitch uh, and were in the dressing rooms and... And the Rangers chairman came in and said uh, to, to, to the Newcastle dressing room, said, I'm just really sorry. It's, um, yeah, it's you know, madness. obviously that this is your, your game um, now. And, and, you know, I think Rangers are a huge club. I think their fans went down to Newcastle thinking we're going to win. And when you have the cocktail of, of um, overconfidence and extreme amounts of alcohol, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no surprise that something like that happened. Um, yeah. but, and yet, yeah. just five short years later, <laughs> in an FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest, <laughs> the boot would very much be on the other foot. And that time, with Newcastle <laughs> losing, the game was abandoned, and they yeah. came back, and Newcastle won that game. They so, did. all credit to Newcastle we, for we ha- the very vital lesson. I mean, they learn. they learn from the lesson. We have a great record of closing out games after riots. And, uh, you know... Well, you, 1990, you didn't, did you? 16th of May, 1990. <laughs> well, we got back on that day. Uh, <laughs> is I, Paul, I, are we in Paul Hardiman territory? I no, think, I, he, he, as you well know, he was suspended for that game. Ruben Agbula okay. played. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd be wise to move on to the Joking about crowd aside, the, the footage of the final, uh, yeah, first I get St. James's, mm. it looks absolutely amazing. There's no yeah. advertising hoarding, it's just people. You mm. can't, you're on, on that far side on what is now, and I've got this right with them, was now the Melbourne stand. I don't know if it was the Melbourne stand at that point. Mm. Um, yeah, the people, the crowds appear to be sort of right next to the touchline. There's no no apparent fence. Uh, it, you know, and there's what, 50, 55, 60,000 there. It's in the atmosphere. looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it, as with a lot of these games in the past, um, there's an official attendance and then there's, you know, the real attendance, which maybe nobody knows, but it's certainly a, 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 a proportion higher than the figures that, that, that are released. Um, you know, the uh, cup fever took over the, the town. There were um, 35,000 tickets on sale to um, fans, um, on the first day of, of tickets being released, they sold out um, straight away. The chairman said they could have sold 100,000. Um, people were queuing up for 17 hours before the, uh, the, the opening of the, the ticket office just to, to get them. And there was a real buzz about it. Newcastle had finished their league season um, by um, pretty much by this point. Um, and, and so this, would, this took over everything. Um, and yeah, people by this point were, were, the fans were confident, um, but everyone was also 
a little bit wary or, or you know most people were listening to some of the experts who'd come out and said look this Uipesh team is the the best team in Europe at this time you know they they, they, they queued up to say these things um Don Revy um Jock Steen um Bill Shankly all said words to this effect and well they had been really really good at Ellen Road which I think is where obviously most British observers had seen them and they were fantastic in that game in beating Leeds so you can understand why I mean Revy particularly but other people had seen them that night you know their their assessment was this is a great side yeah and it, and it, it was this Uipesh side it should be clarified had the basis of the Hungarian national team there were there were there were nine of the uh the national team were were in there and 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 you know I think um, eleven of the actual uh, normal squads um, in those days of the Hungary squad were Uipesh Doja players. It um, it was something that was really hard to accept for the Ferenc Varos and Vosos players actually that this uh, that Uipesh were now the dominant force, and that's part of the reason why it didn't quite work out for for the national team at that uh, uh, in that period. Um, but um, it was certainly the case that. Uh, Newcastle could focus on this game entirely, um, whereas Uipest couldn't necessarily. Um, they mm-hmm. still had league fixtures to fulfil, um, and they also had national team call-ups. Hungary played Czechoslovakia, who in those days were an excellent team as well, uh, four days before the final uh, first leg. So they played they played Czechoslovakia at home in Hungary on the twenty fifth with. I think it was seven of the Uipesh team in the starting lineup. And four days later, they needed to be um, mm-hmm. in Newcastle. And um, well, that's reflected in the scoreline, you would say, uh, especially in the second half, perhaps when they're tiring Newcastle score. Yeah. Three goals in 20 minutes. And it, and it does feel a bit like a little bit of a blitz, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And it, 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 I think that's true. Um, and again, you could say that this fixed a schedule is just another um, moment of good fortune for Newcastle. They'd certainly earned their good fortune and they certainly deserved um, all of the, the glory that they got here. But um, they took advantage of, of, of um, the situation, I think that's fair to say. Dave Smith was the, um, the coach of Newcastle United. So Joe Harvey was the, the manager. But day to day, Dave Smith was the man who um, worked with the players. And he was really important in this uh, uh, situation because, um, firstly, the, the team couldn't train on the St. James's Park pitch before the first leg because of the weather. So they had to train in the car park outside. Um, and what Dave Smith said to the players was, "This I've seen this team down at Leeds. They are going to try to pass you to death. They are going to play quick one-twos, move the ball all the time. And the only way we can combat this is by sticking um, with the runners and not getting sucked into the ball. So they practiced day after day, hour after hour, day after day, um, s- sticking with runners and one-twos and, and closing out the space. And this was exactly what Newcastle did in the first leg for the first hour. They, Uypest had a lot of the ball, um, understandably. They tried to to, to pass through Newcastle, um, use uh, their, their, their um, wingers, um, Zambo, Shandor, Zambo and Laszlo Fozekash but they couldn't get them into the game Newcastle kept shutting them down all the time Tommy Gibb and, and, and Benny Arentoft in midfield um, like terriers around there and you know Frank Clark who was a great defensive fullback um, uh, making sure that uh, he and, and 
uh, his defence, you know, John Mon- uh, John Monker, Bobby Monker, um, Ollie Burton and, and Dave David Craig followed the same mantra, you know, you, you must stick with the runners, cut out the space. They did that. Uypest, yeah, probably ran out of puff, it's fair to say. Um, well, and the pitch was really, I mean, you mentioned the weather, the pitch looks really heavy on the on the video of it. Yeah, it does, yeah. So typical, that, that first goal, sorry, go on, go on, Matthew. No, just a typical English pitch, isn't it? Certainly at the end of the season. Over time, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So 63 minutes, a free kick. Uh, Wynn Davis takes it down. It looks certain to score. Really good save from St. Mihai. And it comes back to Bob Monker, who'd never scored a competitive <laughs> goal for Newcastle, and smashes it in. And then now, once he's worked out how to do it, he does it again <laughs> nine minutes later. Yeah. Uh, and that's an incredible guy. He just picks up the ball in the, in the centre circle, drives forward. There's this nice little one-two with, with Aaron Toft. And then he gets a little bit lucky with a break off a defender, but just keeps going. And the finish is really good. Mm. You know, that, that looks like a player who's used to making bursts into the box and finishing. Because he yeah, picks out the bottom corner from, I don't know, 16 yards, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he said to me, he just kept going. He just he wasn't getting challenged. He kept forward, he, he, going forward. He, he was looking for something um, to do at that point. And it was kind of like plan D. Okay, I'll, uh, well, better shoot now. And and he did. I think some of the Hungarian players um, were, uh, you know, being a goalkeeper is a difficult art, right? And it's a lonely profession, let's say. Um, I think Sent Mihai got some stick for um, the that goal and and. and uh, from really? from his place, he was not the player I'd have blamed for that. But okay, go on. No, exactly. But I think that Sent Mihai was uh, is a is a, a fantastic guy and was a, a very good goalkeeper. But he had a reputation for um, having a mistake in him in a big game. Um, he sixty six World Cup first game played against Portugal made a couple of errors, um, which he says were concussion induced from a, a, a warm up accident um but then he was dropped after that and um he got he got blamed here um but i i I agree with you i think it was just um a a great moment uh for bobby monker who as you say um hadn't scored a an official goal in the first team um funny castle at that point and afterwards um it didn't really either. Not in certainly not in in the league. Well, he has um, at least one more. Quite well, he does. <laughs> he does. He he. Yeah, after this Bears Cup season, but he I think he scored um against uh, he scored against Forest in that riot, by the way, and I think against <laughs> Inter Milan later on in uh, a different competition in the Bears Cup. But the point was, this is uh, just a magic moment for for him. It, they're two 0 up at that point, um, and you Uypest are are flagging. A third is added by Jim Scott. Which um, is actually a really nice goal. Darton yeah. from the right, little one-two there on top, and then a lovely little dink finish. I see that kind of dink finish. To me, that's a development that only really happens in the eighties when pitches get a bit easier and balls get a bit lighter. I think to dink a ball at that period was really hard. I think that's a mm-hmm. really great finish. It was. I think yeah. it's probably no surprise that it was. You know, it's a Scottish player who did it. I think Scottish um, players and strikers were always very creative in their in their finishing and um, and clinical with it. Um, the crucial point of this game is still to come, though. It's the last second of the game. Um, there's a free kick given outside um, Newcastle United's um, penalty area. Uh, the wall is 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 lined up. Um, Shoimoshi, Erna Shoimoshi, whose nickname is Pixie. Uh, he's a 
uh, centre-back for Uypest. He was originally a midfielder, played for, for Hungary um, uh, quite a number of times, was moved back into centre-back as he sort of aged and, and, and maybe wasn't as effective for getting around the pitch. Um, but he's well known for his blockbuster um, free kicks. You know, you think Jorg Albert's type of player. Um, and um, he strikes a magnificent free kick here, which um, nestles in the in the bottom corner of, of McFall's net, um, turns to celebrate um, and is dismayed to find, as the rest of his team was, that the referee claims he'd already blown his whistle for full time. And um, it, it's remarkable that that can happen, that you, you would give a free kick, you'd line up the wall and then you'd blow for full time before you give the player the chance to strike it. I mean, you think of 78 World Cup, Clive Thomas, and, um, uh, you know, Sweden, Brazil, blowing um, before... The corners taken. Yeah, exactly. The scores, yeah. And, 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 and that means that Uypest go away with a 3-0 defeat, not a 3-1 and the away goal. And Which does make a huge difference, yeah. yeah. yeah and especially but when... still, the second leg, they, you know, Uypest start really well. I mean, they... They sort of bat in Newcastle for the first half, really, mm-hmm. um, and you you can sort of you see what a good passing team they are in that game. McFall makes a series of really good saves, and they you know they get two before half time. So at that point, yeah, real panic beginning to set in. I imagine that uh, Benner gets the first from narrow angle, and then the you know the second goal is actually a really good goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunai's pass for the outside of his right foot. So Sinclair sort of gives it away really cheaply. That Dunai pass for the outside of his right foot. And Gurich just seems faster than anybody else on the pitch. He just bursts through, doesn't bursts it? through, it's, pops it's... it in the near post, and suddenly two 0 just before half time, uh-huh. and and there, there must have been real real fear. Well, apparently at half time, Joe Harvey said that don't worry, lads, if if we score, they'll crumble. No. Well, and of course that is the away goal that that Weepesh don't have. Yeah, that if you have yeah. to get one, suddenly Weepesh need five. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's easier said than done, but he was right. Yes, he was. I mean, you've you've summed it up there um, very well. Jonathan, a, a, the key moment of the half, though, it's almost like deja vu going back to the second half of, of, the, uh, of the, the game in Newcastle, because the, possibly you could say the key moment comes in the last minute of the first half. A cross comes in, uh, Willie McFall comes out um, to catch the ball, but Antel Dunai beats him to it, um, gets the header in, it's, it's, it's flying towards an uh, empty net, looping towards an empty net, but it doesn't fall into the net for the equaliser. It bounces off the top of the bar mm-hmm. and over. And if that goes in at 3-0 down, then you're in real, real trouble. Um, you don't have the lead. What else does, does that give you in terms of negativity in the dressing room? And Newcastle had been... Um, they'd gone out there, um, obviously you know that lead gives you um, a lot of confidence but they knew that Uypest were at their most dangerous or uh, at, in their home um Joe Harvey was nervous on the plane going over um he said he just wanted it out of the way um he you know nothing else would do now but but the um but winning um a second was not an option and um actually on that day it was his birthday and it was, it was John McNamee's birthday as well who's also in the squad didn't start um so they were 
there was some nervousness and the nervousness was exacerbated in the warm-up when the players um, went out for the warm-up. Bobby Moncur had won the, the coin toss in the dressing room before and they went out and it was, you know, June in, in Budapest is hot, okay? Yeah. It's, it's not just hot as in, you know, pleasant. It's hot as in sweaty, um, humid. Um, it's not an ideal footballing um, experience for a bunch of Brits who um, don't ever experience this temperature, to be honest with you. Um, so they go out and within five minutes, they're back in the dressing room, they're sweating buckets. They, they can barely, you know, take in enough breath. And then, um, you know, Joe Harvey says, what are you doing here? Um, oh, we'll come back and it's too hot. And he goes, okay, well, I'll, I'll go and have a look at the opposition as, as they're warming up. Joe Harvey comes back in five minutes later and says, goodness me, guys, they're incredible pinging the ball around, you know, running around like, uh, like Terriers, uh, you know, they've got some pace as well. Uh, good luck. <laughs> and walks out. <laughs> so the trepidation the Newcastle players must have felt and then to see it happen mm. in front of their eyes and just to get into halftime, you're right. You know, um, Joe Harvey came back in and it must have been the biggest moment of bravado in his life. And I, I, you will know, I think everyone knows that um, half of the genius of British managers at this, this time um, is their man management. You know, the, 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 the feeling they infuse in players, not necessarily um, tactical genius. He came in and said, lads, everyone's down, head in their hands. What are we going to do? Lads, lads, don't worry. One goal and this team will fold like a pack of cards, like a deck of cards. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and then he walked out. And so, you know, Bob Monker, Bob Monker had said, okay, thanks, boss, but we can't even get the ball. How are we going to score a goal? Well, the way it happens is, so they go back out, and in the first minute of, of the second half, you know, they get a moment of outrageous fortune. You know, that, that I've, I've looked at the, the video in, in detail of, of this first uh, goal, and Wyn Davis is, is harrying the, the, um, the central defender of Uypest in the, in the corner, uh, the, the, deep in the left corner, uh, Shoimoshi. The ball comes off Wyn Davis and goes out behind, but the referee sees it as coming off Shoimoshi and gives a, gives a corner. Shoimoshi's apoplectic. He's, he's pointing, he's ready, but he's not switched on and not getting back in the box. Um, so Uypeshta kind of disorganized dealing with this corner um, at the start of the second half. The ball comes in and, and it's sort of half cleared, you know, comes back into the box and, and there's Moncur. And that um, goal, the Uypeshta players said it was like a pinprick in a balloon. And yeah, because it... suddenly they need to get three more, and then four minutes later, there's yeah, another one, it. and it's again totally self-inflicted. It's Caposhta uh, uh, loses possession, Sinclair's cross, it's half cleared, comes out to Scott, his shot's blocked, and nobody picks up Arantov to who volleys it into the top corner. It's a fabulous uh, strike from yeah. From so, so suddenly it's it's two two, and we push on just back where they started. They're facing two away goals as well. So basically, you need to score four, yeah, and they don't get them. And then the the coup de grace, sixteen minutes to go. Long is it? Is it it's a beautifully British goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, McFall clearance. Win Davis flicks it on. Alan Foggan, who's come off the bench, 
runs on. His, his, he sort of tries one of those dink finishes. Uh, St. Mihai gets a hand to it. It loops up, drops onto the bar, but Foggins there to, to slam it in from two yards, which is one of those... Well, we've talked about this quite often on the podcast, but those, those beautiful goals where for a good, I don't know, second and a half, but it feels like longer before the ball goes yeah. in, you know it's going in, so you can prepare for the celebration. And it's 3-2. Yeah, the game and the tie is is clearly over. Yeah, and, and a famous win for Newcastle United, and it, it, still the last time they won a trophy. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. It oh, is. Go on, make your case for the Intertoto. Yeah, <laughs> me. No, no. Yeah, uh, seriously, the Intertoto is less than the Papa John's. But yeah, carry on. Is it you, okay? Uh, okay, I didn't. I I didn't realise the. I haven't seen. I haven't seen that memo on the on the rankings. And go <laughs> dragged in, um, Don't get dragged in. What no, were you no. Say? No. I, what I was going to say was it's exactly right, and the pattern of those two games followed. Um, uh, followed the same pattern. Uipest had played um, in the Republic of Ireland the previous uh, four days before, three days before, in fact, really, um, away and had come back uh, to, to, to Budapest to try and prepare for the, these games. This was this is for terrible planning by the Hungarian FA and, mm. and uh, um, in, in general, Uipest had tried to get the game delayed um, without success. Um, so Uipest, you know, not just because of the away goal, um, through Monker um, just after half time, but also because of all that emotional energy and physical, uh, um, you know, tiredness, having played so many significant games in the in the previous um, two or three weeks, they were they were gone mentally and 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 they couldn't get that back. And it was just a case of of, of then you know playing out that that last half an hour. Um, you know, they would say obviously they were trying, but the, the, the men momentum wasn't there. Foggen, you know, he he was a young um player who was as a, a, a British um you know national um sprint champion as a youth. So for him to to latch onto a, a header by Wynn Davis on the halfway line is exactly the kind of goal he would uh, or, or situation he'd love to have. You know, you've got 40 meters to out sprint your, your one remaining um, defender. Um, and, uh, and there you are in front of goal. It's perfect for him. And it's, it's the goal he's known by um, throughout his career, even though he did play for Man United later on and, and was a, a star player for Middlesbrough. Um and played six games for Sunderland. Let's that's, that's not forget. Yeah, well, so, uh, you didn't mention that Bob Moncur even played for Sunderland. Absolutely, so you know, yeah, yeah. you can see the trajectory, Marcus. From, from uh, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Pop I, I, Wilson, I, Ron Guthrie also played in the Fairs Cup yeah. campaign. Ended up at Sunderland. You know, there is uh, where well, he did win win a trophy. To be fair, Ron Guthrie was part of the FA Cup team in seventy three. He he was so uh, he scored the... against Luton in the quarter final. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so um, you, you know. This was uh, a seminal moment for Newcastle. It was mm. arguably their greatest moment. Um, certainly, uh, I don't know how you measure a, a Fairs Cup win against the likes of Feyenoord and um, Uipest and, and Zaragoza, who were great teams at the time, against an FA Cup win. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, an FA Cup win in, or three in the space of five years in the 50s, it's... Uh, it's it's not easy to work out, but it's a, a it's a trophy win which kind of to me signals the 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 end of an era, the end of a naive um, uh, 
era of football, which is based on on fair play and just going out and and and, and doing things and playing whatever um, is put in front of you. And after that, um, I think it just felt like football became uh, gradually more and more of a business, and and the priorities of football changed. So to see it in its context, it's Newcastle's greatest moment, but it also from that point onwards, Newcastle never really dealt with the modern era of football um, in the right way. And they never had a chairman, a manager and a, and a, a well-funded team all at the same time that could, that could execute um, what they should have done because Newcastle at this point in 69, let's be, let's remember, I think it's only Aston Villa who have more trophies, uh, major trophies than, than Newcastle in, um, in English football. Um, potentially, I think Blackburn only had, they had one less, but very soon Newcastle are overtaken, and um, it's it's never really the same again. You know, you have these brief periods under Keegan and, and Bobby Robson, um, but you look back and you think it's an incredible achievement um, by Newcastle United, and they haven't returned to that yet. Yet. Well, we'll leave it there then, Matthew. Thank you very much for coming on the pod and talking to us uh, about this. It's been a pleasure. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Um, so, yes, thank you again, Matthew. Uh, a pleasure. Uh, myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. We'll see you then. Cheers. <laughs>